On this week's Bet the Process podcast, which is the third of the holiday box set edition with the Sports Cheetah, we finish up all the bowl games. We talk a bunch about the wild card games and we give picks on the college football championship. And there is a consensus there between us. A lot of agreeing and there's a lot of dead air uh rufus it was preoccupied with other things and cheetah's just much more polite and deferential than rufus is anyways so with that let's start the process bet the process welcome to the podcast bet the process it's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense if you came just for picks you're in the wrong place find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking we're looking for the edge of massy peabody rankings crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic welcome to the third in a, a, a really special box set edition of the Bet the Process podcast where we've been joined, Rufus and I have been joined by the sports cheetah, Preston Johnson. Um, we've been walking through all the college football games and because we've made him spend time with us, we figure it'd be worth talking about the NFL games. So let's just jump right into the NFL. Um, week 17 obviously brought some interesting things. Uh, how far, Rufus, have the Patriots fallen in your eyes, in your rankings? You know, it, isn't, it hasn't been good. I think it's – they haven't fall, fallen that far, though. They're, they're still the number four team in my ratings. It's only one week, but I watched the Game Pass replay of it this morning, and they didn't look good. They looked good running the ball, but Tom Brady looks like Peyton Manning circa his last year with the Broncos a little bit. Um, that's sacrilege. And you need to take, you know, you need to take that back. I'm not saying that's going to continue. What is, um, what, what then? What do you have that line against the, the Titans? Because it's down to four now. It opened at what five and a half, and has been bet down to four. Uh, assuming that you now see some value in the Patriots. Yeah, it looks like I do. I make it uh, Patriots minus six point nine here. I haven't really, I haven't updated the player model with with yesterday's games yet, and I don't know how. Like, I don't think. Tom Brady rated out pretty particularly well, having just watched the game. So I, I can imagine that being a little bit lower. That w- would have been six and a half going into yesterday's games. But Tennessee also, I mean, they played against a Houston team that was resting Deshaun Watson. And uh, so I don't, I don't think you can give that necessarily the same weight that you would if they play, if they had won in a convincing fashion over a Houston team that was actually trying. Are you going to throw out those? Do you throw out week 17 if you know that the teams are playing against, you know, teams that aren't really trying? You know, I've done different stuff every year to like, you know, adjusting to the circumstance. The short answer is yes, but sometimes I'll keep a half if they, you know, if a team was playing their their starters the first half and looked like they were trying. But mostly in these situations, I throw it out. So I throw out, I threw out Houston, I threw out Buffalo, I threw out, um, what are the other teams? Minnesota. And who's the fourth team resting players? The Ravens. The Ravens. There you go. Can't forget about the Ravens. So, so what do you make that line, um, Cheetah, in the Patriots game? I uh, no joke. I'll prove it after. I'm exactly minus six point nine. But uh, so not stealing that from Rufus. But I, I like the Pets too, especially the spots that do have a four. I think you have to buy. And for me, the, the Tennessee stuff's interesting because so my 6.9 is going to be over the course of the season. Obviously, when Tannehill took over, 
Uh, I think Tennessee was slightly better, but probably not as much better as perception generally will be. There's obviously the game yesterday you mentioned against backups in Houston. Outside of that, what have they really done since Tannehill took over? They lost to the Saints at home. They lost to the Texans starters at home. Then they won three in a row against Oakland, Indy, and Jacksonville. They were all three teams that just fell off a cliff down the stretch. Uh, so I'm not really overly impressed by that. I think their one semi-impressive win would have been Kansas City, who they beat by three. They still gave up 530 yards, though. Uh, so I'm not really a believer in Tennessee or the Titans at all. And you're giving me four at home with the Pats, when I think really it should be a seven-point spread. Uh, I got to go with it. So for me, yeah, it's Pats or, or, or nothing, everything else considered. What do you, where do you guys think this line's going to go? I don't know. Um, I <laughs> I'm don't surprised know. it went back to four. I thought four and a half was – you know, between four and a half and five and a halves out there is like the pocket it would sit. But then Chris went to four. Uh, I, yeah, I'm actually a little surprised. So I guess we'll see. My my guess is four and a half is about where it'll end up closing. And you think that the money that's coming in, because this is early money, the money that's coming in on the on the Titans that's forcing it down, that's got to be pretty sharp money, right? Did you bet the Titans? I don't know. I, I mean, didn't bet the Titans. <laughs> I know. I was just joking around. But the – the early limits are generally smaller, but in the NFL, they're going to be pretty big. So you'll see early week NFL movement. That's pretty, uh, I think reputable. And then now it's playoffs. So usually the limits are even bigger for playoffs, right? Early for open. Yeah, so, so my I'm, point is like yeah, this early maybe. money is usually pretty sharp money. So it may be, you, yeah. you again, you have like these two analytical systems, like similarly to some of the bowl games we talked about, like in the Miami situation where you guys are both saying for sure, the line should be seven yet it's gotten pushed down. So there must be some pretty sharp and either analytical or non-analytical people who disagree with you guys. And maybe it's just that, maybe it's just that the people, they, they really think the Patriots are overrated and, and they, you know, they're on a downward and the, the Peyton Manning comparison, et cetera. But um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes as, as limits get big as the week goes on. Uh, what about the Texans, tight, Texans and Bills? Uh, that line is at three right now. Um, the underdogs juiced a little, and the total's forty-two and a half. Preston, you want to lead with this? Sure. Yeah, I can go with it. So I bet some forty-one at open. I don't think I would bet it now, and I actually didn't even realize that like an hour ago it got crushed from forty-one and a half up to there's even forty-threes now. Uh, anyways, so that that was my one look in this game, and. Um, it would be a pass now. I'm more like 44 and a half projected, but I guess the a little concerning note on that would be that JJ Watt may be playing again. He's been practicing. He was removed from IR. And since he was injured, the Texans defense, especially against the run, um, they're giving up, I think it was 144.1 yards per game. So that's where Buffalo actually can be pretty successful. I think they were sixth in adjusted success rate rushing the football this season. Uh, less just Josh Allen's generally going to be good. Um, so I don't know how can, how, effective can he be i mean it was a torn pectoral which i believe is supposed to be like a three to four month recovery and this will have been just over two months um so i had bet over hoping that he wouldn't play maybe he does end up playing but uh for me uh, as far as the spread goes i'm a little bit higher i'm minus 3.4 but um you know three i think you get minus three is like plus 100 at Chris right now is the current number and, and Penny's the same. So uh, a little bit of Bill's love, I think in the market, I'm a little higher. I don't think I would even really consider minus two and a half a ton though, if it got there, um, that, but that, that kind of be what I would need before I'd consider Houston. Rufus. So I, I make Houston, I haven't run my total stuff yet. Um, I, I've, and I've only run just the regular Massey Peabody and I make Houston minus four here. So I just I th- throwing out the entire yesterday's game. Got it. 
Um, so no real play there. It looks like if if it dropped, that there'd be some some interest in the Texans, but generally feel like three is a is a reasonable number. Um, how about the Saints minus eight um, against the Vikings with a total of forty eight? So as I said, I haven't done my totals yet, but I, I make the Saints minus nine point three here. They obviously played phenomenally well yesterday, at least by looking at the final score. I haven't gone through it yet, um, but I'm going to lay off this game unless the price drops down. I, uh, I'll be using, or I actually did already this morning, at spots where you can do a six-point teaser for a pretty good price. Uh, Saints down to minus one and a half, minus two, uh, with the Eagles up to uh, seven and a half, eight. Even, there's even some eight and a halves you can get with that. Um, so for me, it's no real reasoning outside of the fact that it's a, you know, a long-term profitable teaser going through all the key numbers um, at minus 110. But the Saints number for me, I'm closer to right where the market is at eight as far as my projection. My total, I have 49.7, so maybe a little low. I know some people early on that bet over 47s. So uh, I think the move up's probably sound as far as that goes. And yeah, their game yesterday, I mean, they, I mean, it was Will Greer and then Kyle Allen came back in, I believe, but uh, yeah, they were just, I mean, they pounded, but they're a team that I thought was interesting just real quick to make a note. I'm curious, maybe Rufus has some projections uh, that are updated as far as this goes, just looking at the futures market is, is interesting to see in the NFC where the, the Packers are like 10 to 12 to one range and the Saints are five to six to one yet the Saints have to play while the Packers get a buy and assuming that they beat Minnesota, the Packers are going to be at home against the Saints, yet there's still this discrepancy as far as uh, the futures market. So I'm kind of interested in the Saints, but the price is just – it ended up being nothing. I know – I think, Jeff, you took some New Orleans early on this year that you're writing out. But uh, I think ultimately uh, it should just be them in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I like the Saints a lot. I have I have some futures on them. I My numbers really liked them going into this – or this past weekend, but I was counting on – uh, well, I had a 55% likelihood that either San Francisco would lose or Green Bay would lose, and they both yeah. almost lost. <laughs> so didn't didn't help. But I have them as the second-rated team in the NFL behind behind Baltimore. So same, yeah. Now, I mean, I think that's probably why that number is what it is, right? For the futures, because a lot of the sharp people have them as arguably the favorites to win. Yeah, my my futures are not good right now. They're at they're at plus like around 400. So um, I was just checking them because you reminded me that I did have them. Um, <laughs> Jeff, do you have any about, other futures positions? Like what I do you do, have right? riding into the playoffs? I have the Ravens at plus five, six plus, sorry, plus five eighty five um, to win nice. the Super Bowl. We, we released that on bet the process right before the thing started falling. Um, and I also have some Patriots futures, which don't seem like they're going to be very valuable. You can get them at like 25 to one right now. I thought that was kind of wild. Really? And, and then you dig into it and it's like pretty close. Yeah. We're going to go over that today on daily wager on the show. Like Caesars is only 20 to one, but I still like was surprised. And then actually check the numbers. And they're going to be an underdog, you know, at least twice. And uh, yeah, it's actually pretty fair, which is just crazy to think about. The playoffs haven't even started yet and they're 20 to one. That's crazy. Um, what about this Eagles game? Eagles are a two-point underdog uh, at home against the Seahawks. Uh, total is 46. Um, this, this game's seen some pretty real line movement. Um, and, and as you mentioned, I think it's interesting. The teaser that you talked about is like that classic uh, Stanford Wong teaser. 
through key numbers of, of three and seven. And if you can get, if you're somewhere that gets that teaser at minus 110, so a six point NFL teaser at minus 110, long term profitable. Um, and I don't think that's obviously um, even with the changes in scoring and whatnot. Uh, in in this situation, Eagles Seahawks. Um, what do you guys What do you guys agree with this line move? Where did the I, line I, move from? It, Philly was a small favorite originally, if I recall right. the opener oh, yeah. minus one. Now they're you know as high as two and a half in Las Vegas uh, on the dog line. Uh, I can just say real quick. So I have Philadelphia closer to a two point favorite. Uh, that's assuming Zach Ertz plays, who did sit out yesterday. They already have a bunch of injuries at receiver. So if he's out again as well, I mean, it is going to be tough. Carson Wentz is just throwing to Greg Ward Jr. He played quarterback at Houston a few years ago, wasn't even in the league earlier this season. So, I mean, that, that's something you have to like at least account for to some degree. Um, but because I thought Philadelphia should be the small favorite, that's why I liked the teaser option with them, obviously outside of it going through the key numbers. I think Philadelphia is generally underrated defensively. They ended up grading out fourth in adjusted success rate this season, and specifically number two against the run, uh, which we know Seattle, whether it's Marshawn Lynch or whoever, uh, they'd run the ball way more often than they need to. Happened last night when they were down 12, 15 points. They started throwing every play. They came back and almost won. Prior to that, they were running way too often, and they struggled. I don't think they're going to have much success against the number two rush defense in the NFL. Uh, and Seattle, they graded out 29th in adjusted success rate on defense just as a whole. Uh, only teams that graded worse were Miami, Oakland, Cincinnati. Uh, I mean, so if, if Ertz is playing, I like Philadelphia's prospects. I like having – in my opinion, the better coach uh, at home. And so um, I think Philadelphia should be a small favorite. Uh, obviously, Ertz pending, but I like the teaser either way. Would you bet Philly straight up? Yes, absolutely. Like, it, it, I mean, if this gets to three, I'll probably be adding more Philadelphia for sure. Even at two and a half, like if you made me take a side, it's for sure Philadelphia, yeah. Or two. Rufus? So I like I like Philadelphia here. When when it, this is weird. This is the first time in our podcast history that you've like waited for me to call on you. Is this like a New Year's resolution <laughs> two days before New Year's where you're not going to interrupt me anymore? No, I'm just well. Also, like my uh, my business partner was betting stuff, bef- like not knowing I hadn't updated numbers this until like until recently, and so because he's on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. Well, he's in the Caribbean, I guess, but. I'm on the West Coast, which is the East Coast. But so Anywho. I, did, I, did, I didn't have my numbers updated early enough this morning. Um, but I, I make Philly a three-point favorite. Oh. Yeah. Very so, nice. Strong yeah. agreement here that Philly is the right side. So you're going to like them right now where they are. Yeah. I do. I do like you're them there. You're going to put a big position on them. Um. All right, so that's the NFL. I mean, do we want to talk about anything else from that? I mean, it sounds like the futures market probably won't have a lot of value. We know that at this point it doesn't. Um, what about this idea, like, of uh, would you do? Would you take a shot on the Patriots at twenty-five to one, or would you try to do a mechanical parlay on that? I'd have to. I'd have to run through the numbers. I, you know, if if I get a rogue number that I think is better than just, par, you know rolling over the uh bets each week then i know rufus said he hasn't actually updated stuff since the pats lost yesterday but i don't know if you have like an actual just win probability of them to win the super bowl even going into yesterday i'm not sure if you have a semi-update what i'd be curious to see because i was shocked i didn't like 20 to 1 ultimately like i was like plus 2167 or something well going into yesterday 
you know, I, I did have a number, but it's going to be very different than now because I had them as a, what, 95, 94.7% chance of having the number two seed. And so at that point, my number was 11.2% on the Pats. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious the, the discrepancy there. Now you can get 20, 25 to one. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to college football. Uh, in college football, we will start tomorrow in the Sun Bowl in uh, El Paso, Texas. Arizona State is a four-point favorite over Florida State with a total of 53 and a half. Um, Herman Edwards, do we bet on Herman Edwards here? <laughs> You're supposed to when he's an underdog and then bet against him, I believe, when he is uh, laying points. I, I will say... This is, a, I think, a pretty high-variance high game in general. Uh, Willie Taggart's fired. Uh, Goodell Haggins Jr., I believe, is the interim for Florida State. Uh, I believe that's his name. I, I may have botched that. But he, the, I, this number is too high for what it's worth. Like, I think it should be um, – I think I'm 1.2 or 1.3. But there's all the extra variable stuff on the side here with Florida State and the coaching staff. Like, what's the future going to be like with Mike Marvell headed there? Uh, I think it's a great money line option, kind of a higher variance. Like, Florida State's – I think winning the game, you know, nearly 50% of the time anyways in a vacuum. Um, and I'm, I'm, there's nothing to this, but I, and I was making it facetiously like as a joke, but like Herm Edwards as a favorite, they've really struggled. And as a dog, he seems to always find ways to win outright. They always are playing in close games. Um, so I don't know. I think a money line shot on Florida State's worthwhile, but outside of that, um, I'd probably just end up passing because there is a lot of extra kind of some extra variables that are hard to, to quantify here and Florida state season just was, I was so disappointing. Uh, I mean, obviously they're happy to be in a bowl game since they were in last season, but it's still like this, nothing that they're, you know, they were hoping to achieve uh, at the start. I'm with you, Preston. I like Florida state here. I think the narrative is that they've been falling apart as the season went on. Obviously Willie Taggart was fired mid season, but my numbers actually show they've been coming on strong. Their, their final, um, their final scores are deceiving, but, their top three games have all been since week nine with the exception of one really good game, um, a 24, 17 win against Cal and one really bad game, uh, 34, 31 loss to Colorado. Arizona state's been, been really consistent from week to week. I know you're talking about the high variance, obviously bowl games are high variance, but Arizona state, um, has been very consistent, which, um, I don't know if that, that's just a note I made, but Florida state, they're missing their leading rusher and they have, 14 guys who are on the roster to start the season that are out. Uh, also, Marvin Wilson, defensive tackle, probably first rounder, sitting out. Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk. Did I pronounce that right, Preston? I'm not sure. Ayuk, wide receiver, sitting out. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think this is one where uh, I have the teams very, very evenly matched. I make the line actually Arizona State minus 0.2. So if you look through, um, I mean, I could go through my ratings like I normally do. Florida State 46, Arizona State 47. Um, no, 44. I can't read my own handwriting sometimes. Game grades, Florida State's average of plus 3.1. Arizona State's a plus 4.1. And But the weighted game grades, if you weight based on DK, so more recent games get weighted heavier, Florida State's plus 4.6, Arizona State's plus 3.8. So Florida State has made up some ground in that department, and that's why I think the game is basically a pick. Okay, so we like Florida State there. Moving on to the Liberty Bowl. Navy is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Kansas State with a total of 53-and-a-half. 
I believe, Cheetah, you like Kansas State here. Yeah, I'm a small favorite. It was actually interesting to note. I'd be curious, Rufus, you can look it up as well while I uh, talk through this. But this is a game where I think – all right, so preseason, looking at priors, I would have had Kansas State uh, an eight-point favorite. And Kansas State has performed above expectation from start to the season to finish. Yet now they're getting you know two and a half. There's even a three in the market in Las Vegas. Uh, I, I that's that's how well Navy has played and how well they've exceeded expectations when you compare it to where Kansas State's been at. Um, but as a whole, and, and I know there's some numbers that if you uh, there's like some regression to priors just in bowl games. Just looking back at that, and so if I think Kansas State before the season should be minus eight. Um, obviously that's a huge discrepancy and not correct now. Um, but I think there is something to that. I also just think that, you know, based on the season data, I have them, um, as a nearly a one point favorite. So now getting the points and in a matchup that's like, okay, option team. And we talked about uh, last time I was on with you guys for the podcast with since 1980 option teams, uh, from academies, we should say just the academy teams, air force, Navy army are 74% against the spread. And then air force did cover against wazoo. So that's even higher now. Um, that would be, I guess, the worrisome. But Chris Kleiman, who took over this season, he came from North Dakota State. Um, I was looking just earlier today. And he, uh, when he was at North Dakota State, he was a defensive coordinator, then he took over as head coach. They played three, they faced the option three times in the FCS playoffs. Uh, So competent option teams. Um, First time, they beat Wofford 14-7. Then they played a Georgia Southern team, who's now a reputable FBS team. Um, they beat them 23 to 20. Then they beat Wofford again when he was a head coach, 42 10. So they've allowed an average of 12.33 points per game when they've seen the option three times in the FCS playoffs. One was against a team that is now FBS. Um, so at least something to consider. I don't think Navy is going to be going off for you know 35 plus. They've done that a few times in games and they've just been crushing teams. And I think they deserve a ton of credit. They're one of the teams I was playing catch up on often during the season and adjusting to try to get closer to where the market was and how they were playing. But uh, I still think this is worth backing Kansas State in the end when I think they should be a favorite and you, know, you get plus money on the money line or take the two and a half points, uh, threes even in a few spots. Again, I'm in agreement, Preston, and you're nice. right. Navy is a team that has been hurt by their priors. They were, no, if they're number 50 in my ratings right now, K-State's 46, but if you take away priors and just use in-season, Navy's number 21 and K-State's number 42. So that's that's the big the big reason there. Um, excellent research on the Kansas State head coach. That all sounds good. And I make the line Kansas State minus two and a half. So I backed Kansas State at plus three. And now it's plus two and a half and I still, I still like it there. All right. Moving on to Wyoming minus seven over Georgia State, the Arizona Bowl in Tucson, Arizona. I can take this one. So I bet Wyoming and I knew that so Tyler Vanderwall is the backup quarterback because Sean Chambers got injured a few games in this season. Uh, he entered the transfer portal. So that's a third string quarterback. I, I still liked Wyoming at six and a half, seven. So uh, he's a freshman. He actually has some reps anyways, this season he's done all right. What's nice is that Wyoming in their system, I mean, they run outside of option teams. They run at the third highest frequency in the entire country. So they're going to run the ball a lot. Anyways, he actually is somewhat mobile, gives them an opportunity to go read option a few times and pull it himself and take it and, and rush for some yards there. The the big positive here as far as outside, my number um, was near 10. It was nine. Let me check. I'm sorry. I forgot what it was. Uh, 9.7. So 
it was near 10 anyways. And now if you want to say there's a little bit of a downgrade from Vanderwall to Levi Williams, like you can make that argument. But the matchup really just favors Wyoming specifically, which is why I ended up firing on it. Um, even at sevens, I think it's worthwhile. Georgia State, uh, by the way, I mean, they, they, I think they gave up 6.64 yards per play this season. It's the second worst of all bowl teams. Washington State was the worst, um, but they played a much tougher schedule. So I think Georgia State's probably the worst defense of all the bowl teams. Uh, specifically, they ranked like 113th in success rate against the run. They're 109th, and again, Wyoming's going to run the ball a ton. Uh, they were 114th in explosiveness, I meaning they were allowing – big run plays of 20 plus yards, pass plays of 30 plus, uh, even against the pass, I think they were 118th or something in success rate. Like they just, they're going to get scored on. I also like the over 48, 47 and a half somewhat. I prefer the Wyoming side just because I think Wyoming couldn't eventually shut Georgia state down and what they're trying to do. So um, that's ultimately my angle there is I just think Wyoming offense is going to have success despite it being, you know, going into the season, their third string quarterback, Uh, he's a freshman, but it's all the run game and they're going to, you know, be able to move the ball. Interesting. I um I do I, I do not have a play on this game. I make the side minus six point nine for Wyoming. I make the total fifty two. So I, I lean that way. Wyoming or Georgia State. Sorry, I think might be the worst bowl team according to my numbers. I, I don't know that for sure, but they're ranked one hundred and fourth in the Massey Peabody, so that's pretty low. Wyoming's a team uh, that's eighty first for me, so I don't have them that high. Uh, sixty two though, they're sixty second if you throw out if, if you throw out priors. So they're a team that's outplayed expectation. Um, Georgia State, I was looking through, they lost by 47 points to a MAC team, to Western Michigan. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty bad. Um, their average game grade was a negative 7.4. Wyoming was a plus 0.2. Margin of victory, Georgia State minus 3.7. Wyoming plus 6.5. Both teams had very weak schedules. Georgia State was 108. Wyoming was 107. Um, so I think in, in terms of that, leaning towards that over, uh, Wyoming, I have them as the number 105 pace of play. So they do not play very, very fast, but Georgia State is uh, a little bit faster than number 47. So they're, they're top half of the FBS. I got that right, didn't I? Yes. Okay. Uh, so we, you have nothing there, but Cheetah likes Wyoming, and it'd be fun as a, as a uh, New Year's Eve gift to do Wyoming in the over as a parlay. Yes. Might as well. Might as well. All right. Uh, Utah minus seven, total 55. The Alamo Bowl in San Antonio, Texas. They're playing against the University of Texas. Uh, I know the Cheetah likes Utah here. Yeah. Go ahead, Rufus. Go ahead. Okay, I'll, I'll lead off on this one. We, we were in agreement a lot. I, I like Utah also. I have them as the number nine team in the Massey Peabody, number 10 on offense, number six on defense. Whereas Texas is 21st, 14th on offense, 47th on defense. How do priors influence that? Uh, without priors, Utah is the number seven team. Without priors, Texas is number 23. So Utah's overperformed expectation a little bit. Much weaker schedule. They're the 53rd rated schedule, whereas Texas is 14. Um, margin of victory, Utah plus 20.8. Texas plus 6.1. Um, but then, then when, when uh, well, game grades, Utah plus 20.9. Texas plus 8.3. So they've been 12 points better in the game grades. My number here is Utah minus 10 and a half. Um, what's interesting is the narrative is Utah disappointed after playing for a sh- They might be disappointed after playing for a shot at the college football playoff. I don't know if that's, I, I don't know. I can't really speak to whether that is going to happen or not. Um, I know that Utah did play their worst game of the season by far against Oregon. They graded out as a negative 3.7. But their second worst was only a plus 7.1 against Northern Illinois. 
Northern Illinois. So every other game for them this season was a double-digit game grade, including their loss to USC. Whereas Texas started strong, they had an average game grade of 13.5 in their 4-1 start. Their only loss there was that really, really good early season game against LSU where they lost by 7. Uh, they lost 2-3 of three with the win by 2 against Kansas, um, but their average game grade in that stretch was negative 2, and they've kind of stabilized out for these last uh, – they've been decent for the last three games before actually playing great against Texas Tech. So um, numbers say Utah. Yep, I'm with you. I'm exactly 10 flat, so Utah minus 10. I think, you know, outside of the narrative that they lost and and blew it against Oregon and, you know, what are they playing for now, uh, I think the reason that's maybe stronger than ever is, well, one, Utah may have gotten the playoff spot and had a chance against LSU instead of Oklahoma, which people probably would have liked to see. But it's that last year this exact same thing happened with Georgia, who lost in the SEC title game, and then Texas played Georgia – as a dog, similar point spread, I think it might have been eight or nine, and they just absolutely mopped them up, crushed Georgia. Georgia no-showed, and everyone now is talking about, well, this is the same thing. Texas gets to see Utah in the same spot. And on top of that, everyone will say that Tom Herman is 104-1 and as an underdog against the spread. Uh, the exact numbers on that are not – that obviously i believe now it's like i don't know 14 and 5 it's like 104 i think okay there it is. so he lost the last he must one. Be an old yeah. man he and they're winning all these outright in bowl games so he's three and oh ats and three outright wins as a dog like so the, all of that exists and i think that's why it's playing into this number being lower but it was six and a half and it's been pushed to seven even pushing seven and a half some spots um so i gotta yeah my numbers say it should be 10 and i of all this, you know, when I was working in sports psychology, I was studying that it was at the University of Utah. I worked with Coach Whittingham and some other guys there as assistants. Like, if there's one guy, and it's biased, 100% biased, but like, if there's one guy, I think that will keep the team prepped and focused and motivated to play in a bowl game, even though they lost in the Pac 12 title, you know, it's Coach Witt. I'm not expecting them to come out flat, similar to the way Georgia did last year. I just don't see it. Um, they're the better team in just about every regard. And by the way, Texas Herman fired his defensive coordinator and offensive coordinators. Uh, before this bowl game so they have new guys calling plays and people might think well that's a positive well their offense still graded out to be top 15 in just about every metric this season so I'm not sure the offense is going to get better Um, he's probably going to help call some of the plays and stuff but with those coordinators gone I think there is some downside to the Texas side in this instance too um, that no one's really talking about. Preston can I ask if you've seen the sort of psychology or of other FCS coaches? FCS coaches? What do you FBS, mean? sorry, FBS. I always confuse the letter B and C. Oh, it's okay. It's a tough, to, tough one to get. The, you're just talking about if I've like worked with other coaches. Yeah. Uh, the only other one was the connection because I was nearby was uh, Bronco Mendenhall at BYU. Um, but outside of that, it was just those two Utah schools. A little bit with Gary Anderson actually. I did an internship thing at Utah State uh, for a week. Uh, so yeah, those three Utah coaches actually, um, and he's back at Utah State now. And you think, and you would say Kyle Whittingham is going to be the one, like out of those guys, I, I just, probably as, the most to keep it. Whittingham, so and I, I, what essentially what Preston is saying is that Whittingham is a fucking maniac, and he's <laughs> his guys and make sure that they don't, they don't slack in this. I, yeah, and I admit it, it's biased, but I, I just, I don't see him being the type of guy that's going to let this team completely fall on their face because they lost a Pac-12 title game. They still have a chance to play in a New Year's Eve bowl game. They're going to be prepared. I 100% expect that. There's just no reason to expect flat spot. But that's what everyone will be saying because of what happened and because it's Tom Herman in Texas on the other side. I love this inside information we're getting. This is great. All right, let's Not move that on. Inside. Virginia Tech <laughs> minus two inside that team. Virginia Tech minus two and a half against Kentucky. Um, the U, the Belk Bowl. 
The Belk Bowl, the very special bowl. This was that Duke game, which had one of the worst beats ever, if I remember way back Correct. in the day. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys like here? Virginia Tech minus the two and a half uh, against Kentucky. So I make the line Kentucky minus By the way, one. Kentucky is a controversial team because they have a wide receiver playing quarterback, which, uh, which, which Rufus seems to hate. Or Rufus doesn't no, even I seem loved to it. care about. Rufus doesn't even seem to care about, and Cheetah seems to hate. Well, we talked about this. Didn't we talk about this before the Louisville? Was it Louisville? Where they blew yeah, them yeah, out? Yeah, we were chatting about it. Yeah. yeah we had, were not chatting about it on the podcast. We were chatting about it in our DMs, in our DM thread. Yeah, and I liked, I liked Kentucky in that game. And they and I actually watched a lot of that game, and it was in the rain, and they just like ran Louisville right out of that stadium. It was, it was fantastic to watch. Um, literally literally they ran I don't, I don't know i didn't you know i, I don't have access to the coaches i mean the i guess rooms, eventually like preston does but eventually <laughs> the stadium so they did run them out of the stadium literally right yeah so i, I like so so yes they do have a wide receiver um playing quarterback who's probably going to be a pretty high uh draft pick lynn bowden bowden yeah uh, I, I make kentucky a 1.6 point favorite they are the 26th rated team in massey peabody virginia tech's 28 uh, both teams are playing right around where I had them before the season. At Virginia, well, Virginia Tech would be a 25 without priors. Kentucky would be a 29. Kentucky's had the tougher schedule, 55 to 71. Uh, margin of victory right around the same. Virginia Tech, better game grades, plus 7.3 to plus 5.9. But if you wait based on, uh, you know, if you do some recency weighting, Virginia Tech is a plus 10.9. Kentucky is a plus 9. So, uh, Virginia Tech, they have two shutouts against ACC teams, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and a 40, yeah, 45 nothing win against Georgia Tech, which was one of the best games of the season by any team in terms of game grades. So they're very much influenced by that game. So if you guys hear a piano in the background, some, my kids are jamming a piano somewhere in the house down, downstairs. So I apologize for that. Uh, but I need to say – that yes, you were right uh, about the Louisville-Kentucky game. He did run them out of the stadium, I think, officially. And he ran for, like, four touchdowns, if I recall. Uh, Lynn Bowden Jr., again, he's, like, their third-slash-four-string quarterback because he is a receiver who they plugged in midseason and just decided to run the ball every play. Now, what's interesting about this, and I, and I will say, I'm not sure, Rufus, did you actually bet Kentucky then since you have them a small favorite or no? I, I bet them, yeah, a little bit plus three, minus 120. Okay, so I'm passing. I think Virginia Tech should be minus 0.4. I think it's a dead pick on. It's minus 2.5, though. And this would be my worry outside of the fact that I think it's just weird that you can put a receiver at quarterback <laughs> and run successfully. It obviously worked against Louisville and Satterfield somehow. But when they played teams like, say, Tennessee, they only were able to score 13. They played a defense like Georgia. They scored zero. They played a defense like South Carolina. They only scored seven. Like when they play a top or a somewhat reputable defense – and this is like with only a week's prep time to defend a receiver trying to run the ball. Like they haven't been able to move the ball. So now they're going up against a Virginia tech rush defense. That's like 26 in the adjusted success rate against the run top 30 in yards per play stuff. And they've played a you know pretty decent schedule all things considered. So I'm not sure Kentucky will be able to ultimately just move the ball running with the quarterback. That's actually a receiver. I just don't see it. Now, if he goes against whatever happened to that Louisville game or Tennessee Martin or Vanderbilt, then yeah, they've been moving the ball. Uh, in those games, and those are their last three games. So that's like what people remember most. So I'm not surprised this is actually a little bit inflated on the v, um, VT, the Vatex side. I'm staying away. Um, but it feels like to me that, oh, this is another reason why I brought it up. My total is quite a bit higher, but I'm, I'm passing. It, it, it's like 
I think five and a half points higher than the market. And I still just think there's a real shot that Kentucky, you know, doesn't get to more than 13 or 14 points. And in that case, I would hate my over bet. So I'm passing um, despite some edge there showing on the total. What do you, so you have the total at 50, over like 51 or so? I was like 51, right under 51 and it's 46, 46 and a half, I think. Uh, right. I'm yeah, at 48 and a half. So I lean, I lean that way on the total. Also, this is a game. So I actually did look into that uh, thing. We, t- we talked about this on the first, I the think, defense. No, second podcast, right? The defense thing. And I did find that that narrative that, or the theory, I guess, espoused on the solid verbal podcast did hold true that teams basically defense is more predictive going to bowl games than offense. So all things being equal, you want to bet on the team with the, be- with good, the better defense. And so this is a situation where Kentucky um, has the 21st rated defense. Virginia tech is 35. Cause I was looking, I was looking at my number here cause I, I actually reran numbers after making this adjustment for the defense. And I'm not expecting that, that basically that what I found is entirely 100% signal and no noise that and what I found was the fact that offense is less predictive than normal um so I kind of did what you know we we talked before about sort of the shrinkage in bowl games and so I kind of um I I used a little bit of art and kind of blended the regular number with sort of the bowl specific number and that's kind of why my Kentucky number is a little bit higher than I would it would suggest just looking at the raw ratings nice yeah. All right. Well, now that we've talked about Rufus and shrinkage, I think we can move on to the New Year's table, <laughs> where we have Alabama giving seven to Michigan and the total is 58. And this is obviously a game. There's some worry about who exactly is going to play for Alabama. This is a real new thing for them to not be in the playoffs and be playing in, in a bowl game of this type, which really means nothing for the national championship picture, obviously. Um, but they do get to play a marquee name, at least as a school. So that, that should help them in terms of thinking about this game. Um, where do you guys net out on this? And how do you think through, like, understanding which of their, you know, first-round draft pick wide receivers are going to play, et cetera? That's more official now. The receivers are all supposed to play. Uh, they have a That's D good. lineman, DJ Dale, linebacker, Joe Lewis, and defensive back, Trevon Diggs, who are uh, obviously on the defensive side. They're out. For the NFL draft. So uh, they were already a defense, by the way, that you mean, even entering the season, they had two linebackers go down with knee injuries for the year. They were really depleted defensively. They were nearly, weren't nearly as good as they have been in the past for Nick Saban teams. And now they have three defensive starters that are NFL level players that are sitting out. The receivers are supposed to go. The defenders will not. I think there's a little bit of an edge on the over anyways. I had this like 62, you can get 58, 58 and a half. I'm probably into playing over here. Michigan, I think is an underrated um, offense as a whole just you know they were going up against the big 10 defenses a lot of the time um, but I think uh, my adjusted offensive grade was like 26 or 27 for them and I was surprised even just looking that up earlier this morning uh, so for me 62 is my number and it looks like the receivers are a go on the Bama side and you know no Tua obviously but I'm not too concerned um, it's not like uh, Harbaugh has done very well defensively in bowl games in the past or against similar offenses like Ohio State like they've just been giving up tons of points uh, when they face similar rated and graded offenses. So yeah, I like, I like over 58, 58 and a half. I actually haven't bet it yet. Uh, so I've just been kind of waiting to see, um, but it looks like news is more or less official. So I'll be firing on this today. Nice. I, I make the total there 58.6. So I don't have no edge there for me. My numbers like Alabama, just like everybody else's probably do. I haven't fired on it. Cause I don't, you know, I haven't for the same reasons um, they were discussing with, the injury stuff 
Alabama um, has not actually dropped off that much in offense without Tua. That's one thing I was looking at since since Mac um, since Mac Jones. I almost called him Mac Brown, uh, but since Mac Jones has been inserted into the starting lineup, their game grades have been a plus sixteen, plus thirteen, plus forty seven, and plus thirty two. Um, I'm not including the Western Carolina game. So Mississippi State and Auburn game, um, you know, they played very well on the offensive side of the game in both of those. And, you know, Auburn, they, they, that was a game they obviously should have won. If you look at the numbers, they, their, I guess, expectation based on um, the stats was, was really high and they lost because of some fluky stuff. So I, I may play this game. I still haven't, um, I haven't made a call on that. And I'm going to, I'll definitely look at the, it, it, you know, the guys sitting out and how much I think those, those are worth. All right, let's move on. Auburn minus seven against Minnesota in the Raymond in the Outback Bowl at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Totals fifty four. I don't have anything in this one, so I, I can make it quick. I pass altogether. Uh, one note is uh, defensive tackle crap. What's his name? I'm I'm forgetting. Auburn has a defensive tackle who's like all SEC that'll be out of the game. Sue? No. Nope. Derek Brown. He's okay. going to skip the game for draft pra- uh, purposes. The Minnesota wide receivers, they have two that average about 100 yards per game and each caught 11 touchdowns. Like this, so their offense has been really strong overall over the course of the season. They also played a very, very weak first nine weeks of the season. And then if you look at their back few games, it obviously dropped off. Auburn's a top-match defense. Even without Derek Brown, they're going to be, I think, able to slow down Minnesota. I think the number – I forgot to look at the current number. Is it seven flat? It was eight, so it's been moving down. Uh, if it got to six and a half, I'd probably still consider Auburn slightly, but I thought seven and a half was pretty, pretty fair in the totals. Uh, a little bit high now. I'm surprised it's moved up. Maybe it has to do with Derek Brown sitting out on the Auburn defense. Uh, I was more like where it opened. Actually, I think Circa opened it originally, uh, like 48 or 49. They were 49. I just looked. And I was more where the Chris opener was at 51. I'm 50.4. Now you can get 54s. So if anything, maybe – an under look at the current price. I haven't done anything with it though. And 54 is more rogue. There's still a lot of 52 and a half 53s. I don't have a play here either. I, at Minnesota, this is a game with teams with widely divergent strength of schedules, despite both playing in the two strongest conferences, Auburn played literally everybody. Um, they had a schedule, a death schedule. And on top, you know, they, they played Oregon in their non in, in a tough non-conference game and Tulane who ended up not being that bad also. Um, yeah, Texas A&M, like they, they, the SEC West is just death. Um, and I make the number, let's see, seven. So, no, sorry, 8.3, uh, 8.3. So, so you might like have an interest if this keeps dropping and goes down in a second. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but, but again, Minnesota, like, um, you know, Martin, the linebacker, I have a little, note it says martin linebacker so and they're orange so i think there's some concern um maybe he's injured or sitting out i don't know who he is but this is top <laughs> okay, so let's move on let's let's move on if you're providing information that you don't even understand what it means and who the person <laughs> is probably not the most useful information no all right oregon is a three-point underdog against wisconsin um and this is in pasadena this is the rose bowl the total is 51 and a half points um I'm assuming that one of you guys has something in this game. I'll let Rufus go first because I don't, at least currently. I was going to say I don't either. This is, uh, uh, let's see, my number is Wisconsin minus two. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
the one thing I was going to say is I was upset after digging into it a little bit more. I didn't bet the over. It opened 49 and a half, and I think 51 or better is actually a good play. Uh, my projection's closer to where it is now. It's only 52.3. Uh, but the one, these are two teams that I think are top 10 offenses uh, in a lot of metrics. But the, the thing that, I, that stood out to me when I actually dug into it and then it was too late is that Wisconsin defensively grades out to be really strong. They're really stout like they have been in the past. That's a Wisconsin Big Ten defense. But they were 90th against the run in explosiveness. They were giving up really, really big chunk plays on the ground all year long. And Oregon uh, nationally ranked top 25 in rushing explosiveness. Uh, so as far as a matchup goes, I mean, there's a higher likelihood of Oregon maybe breaking off a run or two in this game versus average. Uh, so maybe that bodes well for either a potential big touchdown play or at least a big game that sets up some points and also um, increases possessions as a whole. So in the end, I was like, man, I should have probably bet over 49 and a half at open or 51 or better, but it's, it's kind of gotten away. So I'm probably just going to stay away, but um, that's probably my one look. My projections 2.5. Uh, so Wisconsin at three. Now it's still nothing I'm considering the Oregon side on yet. Can I ask how much randomness do you think there is or how much noise in the sort of explosiveness stuff? How much noise? Well, I mean, I don't think it's how noisy. How, why don't you ask how predictive is it? Like how predictive, if, if something is that going forward, I mean that in the past, can you predict that they are going to be that going forward? I think there's some randomness to it for sure. Like over the course of one season, which is only, you know, 12 to 14 games or whatever it may be, you know, one team could just happen to give up a lot bigger plays that season than what would have been expected. But there are also when it lines up with like, for example, um, we had talked about a little bit. I don't actually, I don't know if I talked about it on this podcast to you guys, cause it was, it came in later. I think I just uh, messaged you guys, but you know, Ohio States, when they started playing decent opponents, um, Here's the stat. So the first 10 games of the season, they, their missed tackle rate was 6%. Then when they played Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, down the stretch, their missed tackle rate jumped over 20%. And then Travis Etienne, he led the country in yards after contact. It's like 970 yards after contact. So that type of stuff, I think, is somewhat um, worthwhile or relative to who you're playing. And so if it's you know, an Oregon offense that's been explosive all year, and then you're going up against a Wisconsin defense that struggled to shut down big plays in that sense. Some of them may have been random. Some of them may have been opponent-related because they played Ohio State twice. Well, Oregon, you know, they're pretty good offense, especially on the ground. That's what they've been doing um, fairly well this season outside of having Justin Herbert. Most people think, oh, they pass a lot. They're really good through the air. That's actually hasn't been the case as much this season. So I, I think there's definitely some randomness to the explosive plays and stuff, but it is something that um, I look into that, um, is worthwhile to note, and when their discrepancies or the strengths on strengths kind of, or excuse me, strengths on weaknesses line up, then uh, it's definitely a bonus. I'm not surprised the total came up then when it was all said and done, and I was just kind of bummed out that I missed it. Can I ask what is the criteria for your explosiveness? Like, what's the threshold? Uh, so, like, pass plays thirty plus yards, rush plays twenty or more yards, I believe is the threshold. And you know, as you talk about, it, it's like predictive, like success rate stuff that Bill Conley started doing years ago. Like the market, I mean, it's it's adjusted now, but like back in the day, like the market would move to his numbers way more often than not. And so a lot of the success rate explosive, this stuff that he's doing, um, I, I think it's well seen that it's been predictive and valuable to at least consider um, when you're going through. And, and it's the same like in NFL too, I think when you're looking at numbers, like that's shown that it can be predictive long-term. And so um, he deserves a ton of credit for that, but I, you've seen maybe you weren't following it as closely, but I would say, as of 
maybe just two or three seasons ago, the opener started uh, getting a lot sharper just based on, I think, his stuff. And the years prior to that, for maybe five, six seasons, you would see most openers move right towards Conley's numbers. In some cases, there would be like, okay, well, maybe there's an injury here or there's a question mark here. And so there, it wouldn't move. But like 90 plus percent of the time, they were moving his way. And I think and then they were winning. Um, and so I, I think that there definitely is some validity to it all. So I think the undervalued thing then is finding teams with a lot of 29 yard pass plays and 19 yard rush plays. That's right to do that. And then, then you can grade them out as like a a 0.8 or something, whatever you might want to do. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's move on. We got the last game on new year's day, which is Georgia minus five against Baylor in the sugar bowl. Uh, 41 and a half is the total. It's a pretty low total for a college game. What do you guys, uh, have in this game? And obviously the narrative here is going to be, is Georgia going to no show again in a bowl, um, after losing the, uh, SEC championship game? Well, also is, um, is Baylor's quarterback Brewer going to be playing? He's, He's probable. He's probable. He's probable now. Yeah. I have Georgia. Uh, sort of an orange here so and that line has dropped down um I, my number i don't have any bet on this my number is actually without any sort of adjustments 10.9 georgia minus 10.9 but um are there are there guys sitting out for georgia here yeah like i lost that's, track of how many there are there's a ton yeah all, like so, half their offense yeah so that's why i've stayed away from this and i stayed away earlier you know when the line was what a, a, around a touchdown um I, if, if it drops far enough i might Consider it. I, w- I definitely want to look into the injuries, though. They're, they're the injuries, not the injuries. Right? No, no, the player, the player sitting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I haven't touched it. I know a lot of people that when the news started breaking about Georgia guys, they, they just started hammering Baylor. I'm not necessarily thrilled to be on Baylor here with their injuries. And at the time, Brewer was questionable, as was their backup. Um, although the third chair looked like the GOAT against Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. But I, I – completely passed i think the total's a little low obviously as well on top of the georgia line being low but it's hard to really quantify having you know maybe six or seven pieces out of a game um at least to be confident about it so i'm i'm letting it go i would say that the narrative wise like the motivation stuff like you would think georgia and kirby smart don't want to get blasted in another bowl game after it happening last year to texas uh so i mean that's why i was more concerned about getting Baylor even earlier on when it was like seven after some of that news, but now it's down to five. I'm just, I'm just letting the game go. All right. We got five more of the crappy bowls between now and the championship. So let's breeze through this so we can spend a little bit of time on the championship. We got Cincy minus seven against BC 54 and a half. Um, I'd be, this actually is for a crappy one. This is interesting to me because obviously BC has been a team that we've talked about a lot as sort of a, um, we've been on or bet on at different times. Um, what do you guys have in this one? Go ahead, Rufus. I don't, I don't actually have anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything either. I, you know, I would lean towards towards BC. I make the line yeah. four, four and a half, but did they have A.J. Dillon yeah. running back? A.J. Dillon's playing, out. So. Adazio, the head coach, got fired. Uh, Jeff Halfley, I believe is his name, the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, is taking over officially as of yesterday. Um, but, yeah, with a – with Dylan out and they don't have a coach, uh, I will say this: like, you had, I remember you had liked this game. You had yeah. liked BC in this game until Dylan was announced out. Um, so. Yeah, I was probably going to be taking them because I was I was lower than four. I believe I'm closer to like three and a half uh, raw line, and now like seven and a half still a little enticing. Um, I, 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 Cincinnati, I believe they had a stretch where 
they won they had like seven games straight where they were outgained yet they won six of them something or maybe it was six straight and they won five of them but like i still not really a true believer in cincinnati as a football team uh but too much going on with boston college and then their best players out and by the way anthony brown their quarterback who actually is pretty good uh he got injured i think in week five or week six and since then they've just handed it to aj Dillon nearly every single play since then no joke like their backup quarterback has hardly thrown the ball and now aj Dillon's not even playing so it's really they're out there starting quarterback and they're starting running back too okay indiana uh, tennessee minus two and a half uh against indiana the total is 52 and a half this is the gator bowl I'll lead it off, I guess. I don't have a play here. I make Tennessee minus 3.9, and I make the total um, 52.1. I'm a little higher on the total. I was 53.1, so yeah, not that much higher, actually. Tennessee's schedule has been interesting, where uh, and they were a team I liked backing in a few spots this season. So I've been pro-Tennessee. I think the spread's spot on, but you know they beat Vanderbilt. They held them to 10. They beat Missouri, held them to 20. They held Kentucky's receiver offense, running the football to 13. They played UAB, held them to seven. That's their last four games. I think the market's maybe overcorrected somewhat to how good their defense is. Like Missouri, when they played them, like I don't even think they were half of a team. Kelly Bryant was playing half injured. But UAB, Kentucky with the receiver, quarterback, and Vanderbilt, like they just haven't played an offense where Indiana's, uh, they grade out to be top 25 offensively in a lot of categories. And they did it against Big Ten defenses almost every week. So uh, I actually, I don't know, I kind of like over 52 just from a matchup perspective or like, a, I don't know, like a Tennessee is probably not as good as they've looked for the last, well, now we've been almost two months of, of real time. So, um, but because like when they played South Carolina, for example, Bama, you know, they're giving up in the thirties, Georgia scored 43. So I, I think there's a little bit of upside to an over potentially, but nothing I've played. Okay, moving on. Ohio minus eight over Nevada. This is a line that, I mean, when have you ever seen a MAC team giving eight points uh, in a bowl game? And it's a line that's crept up due to the, the Nevada news. So what do you guys have in this one? You want to leave this one off, Preston? I can. I didn't bet anything. So that's why I was going to see if you, if you wanted to jump at anything. Everyone hammered Ohio from the get-go. They did open six and a half. Uh, sharp guys, I know, bet Ohio. Uh, and big and I've kind of been higher than the market on Nevada throughout the season um, they've played like three different quarterbacks over the course of the season though it's been a little bit of a mix and their adjusted success rate is like 115th so like they, they just haven't been able to move the ball now can you move the ball against a Mac school like Ohio yeah, probably um, they played it like they beat San Diego State outright as a 17 point dog late I mean they were if they had beaten UNLV in their like rivalry game during the season, they would have tied for the division lead with Hawaii and San Diego State in the Mountain West Conference. So they're this team that the, the record was better than they've actually probably performed. But the market got a hold of it and bet the six and a half. So it, it's a pass now. Part of that was also the, the suspensions, right? There were some guys that were suspended off of after that UNLV game. Yeah, there were. I don't remember who it was exactly, but I don't think it was. It wasn't a quarterback, was it? Yeah, it's, it's uh, two receivers. Right. And Malik Henry, but he was the backup anyways. Yeah. Okay. So I actually did have a play. I played, I was one of the people to play Ohio minus six and a half. I make the line my Ohio minus 10.3. So I would not play it at eight and a half, but uh, Nevada, I think actually Nevada is a worse team than Georgia state. So they might be the worst team to qualify <laughs> for bowl. I have them as 111th. I have Ohio as 58th and both those teams are right around where they're, uh, where they were projected going into the season. Both teams have had really easy schedules. Nevada 111, Ohio 124. Um, Margin of victory, Ohio plus 
eight is plus 7.7 and Nevada minus 10.7. So big difference there. Um, game grades, Nevada, negative 14.9 on average. Ohio was a plus 0.3. So um, yeah, I liked Ohio at six and a half, but I would not play it at eight and a half. Okay, moving on. Southern Miss, uh, let's see, Tulane minus seven against Southern Mississippi. Uh, Brett Favre's alma mater. Um, the Armed Forces Bowl totals 56 and a half. Anything in this one, guys? Tulane's close. I haven't bet it. They, they were a team that got, I don't know if Rufus, did you bet Tulane throughout the year? I think Rufus did. I don't did. think I, I did. Okay. Cause, like, I, think they, I, fa- I think I faded them more often. Because they would get steamed every other week, like to numbers that I didn't understand. And if anything, yeah, I was just playing against them. And they had a lot of like their actual raw numbers as far as points, yards per play, success rate. They were great. I think they were the either ranked third or fourth uh, in the AAC. Yet they didn't really win games. They were only six and six. Uh, they had some tough luck in one score games, if I recall, one and four one score games. But um, I mean, the, the markets loved them. And I've kind of been adjusting towards the market and Tulane side and some of their underlying metrics. And so I have this a little low. I actually kind of like the seven, but also have been worried that now it hasn't moved and the market's been betting Tulane like every other week all year. And now they're not betting them here, then it's probably a good number. So, but I'm only like nine and a half anyways. I probably need six and a half to actually fire. Wow. We are very different here. I, I like Southern Miss. I made the line uh, just, mm-hmm. I made it Tulane minus three. So, Whoa. Yeah, big difference. I have Tulane, 53rd rated team, Southern Miss 64. If you throw out priors, Tulane 45, Southern Miss 77. So the fact that Tulane is overachieved and Southern Miss is underachieved um, still does have some impact there. Southern Miss, better defense than offense, that you know, which kind of helps with that whole um, defense being more predictive going to bowl games thing. So I fired on Southern Miss at plus seven. All right. Um, sorry. That'll keep me off Tulane most likely anyways now. So good enough for me. <laughs> okay. Then we finally have the Alabama bowl, um, with Louisa and Lafayette giving 14 to Miami of Ohio with a total of 54 and a half. This, this, it feels like the Mac had like 8,000 teams in bowls. Like that. They have like one of them were actually good, but they all went six and six or seven and five. Well, the, it's, the thing is, Jeff, when two teams play, one of them has to win. Okay, not necessarily in college. I guess that's true, right? Because there's no ties. Exactly. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette obviously had a very good season down in the Sun Belt um, with App State. They were two of the um, leading non-Power Five teams this year. It seems like a lot, though. Does justify numbers justify this big spread? You know, mine don't fully justify it. I have Louisiana Lafayette as the fifty-fourth rated team in the country. They would they'd be thirty-fifth if you did if you threw out prior. So they've been one of these teams that sort of overachieved where they're supposed where where I had them going into the season. Miami, Ohio, one hundred and ninth. If you only look at uh, the current season, but if you add in a prior, one hundred fourth. So pretty bad, regardless. I make the spread. Um, oh, but Miami, Ohio is a better defensive team than they are on offense. 117 on offense, 76 on defense. Lafayette, um, 34th on offense, 74th on defense. So that sort of the, the defense being more predictive thing suggests that Miami, Ohio should get a little boost here. Um, I make the line with that uh, 12. 
I'm, you know, but I'm not, I'm not on this game. Yeah, I'm at 13, and I was pro Lafayette and Billy Napier. I bet I'm 12 to one to win the Sun Bowl before the season, and almost got there. But uh, Billy Napier took over two years ago. I mean, he's done wonders for their offense, especially they're like a top 10 offense. I have them rated a little higher than Rufus. I believe they're like 44th or 45th best team for me. Um, they've just been really, really impressive. And um, defensively, you can you can obviously beat them like we saw Appalachian State do in the in the actual Sun Belt title game. But uh, Miami-Ohio offense is just dreadful. And they've actually been okay defensively, like Rivers was talking through. Um, but specifically, they were 5-0 and in one-score game. So I think Miami-Ohio, just kind of perception, their record, they're not as good as, as it shows. And um, I think it does warrant more or less to be 14. You know, I think it should be 13, close enough. Uh, nothing for me to bet here. I did – have the total uh, a little bit higher, and it's going to push down from 55.5 to 54.5. I think I'd be buying if it got to 53.5. I have it at 58. Okay, and then finally, the national championship game, which is in New Orleans. Uh, LSU opened, I think it was a four-point favorite, and then it got bet all all the way to five and a half. I was kind of watching it that night, and then it, it's now settled in at four and a half with a total of 69. Um, I guess the first thing is, did you guys have some reactions to those games on Saturday? Um, I think we were all shocked to see Oklahoma get beat that badly, but then that was almost one that after the fact, and we were all, I was on Oklahoma at plus 14, like felt pretty good about getting that price. I got plus 14 minus like 106 or something like that. So I felt good about it. But then you just came into that game and it, it, it seemed right from the beginning like, oh, well, you know, duh, Oklahoma just hasn't been that great all year and LSU has been incredible. So, of course, it's going to be a blowout. Um, did you, would you, yeah, you, know, I, you know, like you kind of watch it and you're just like, oh, I'm stupid for even just going to be. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't. I mean, having seen how Oklahoma fell behind, like they lost to Kansas State um, and fell behind big time there and then falling behind by what, like three, like 20 points to Baylor and then coming back to win that game. I mean, their defense is capable of allowing a lot of points very quickly and their offense can, you know, I mean, it was very, very good all season, but it's not like, it's not super explosive and it's very run heavy. And, and, you know, LSU has got, they are the better team. I thought 14 points was too many points. Um, it turned out to not be, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I wasn't surprised by it. I, I was surprised by the fact that LSU scored a touchdown on every single possession except for one. And the one that they didn't score a touchdown, they kicked a field goal that went off the post because they missed a third down face mask on Joe Burrow as he was trying to get out of the pocket. It was just blatant as can be. Otherwise, they probably score a touchdown there. They, will have, they would have scored on all 10 possessions, I believe, uh, seven points. So, like, I have to just give them a ton of credit for doing that, whether it's Oklahoma's defense or not. That's just impressive. Um, the, the interesting, I think, just market, inspection if we want to call it that is you know a month ago uh, LSU would have been an underdog to Clemson I mean I'm pretty confident in saying that and they wall up Georgia and they just do what they did against Oklahoma and now you're sitting here and there they were as high as a six-point favorite they still are six a few spots uh, that's pretty nuts to me and this is all while Clemson has overachieved in their own right by covering every single spread against an FBS school for the last three months since they barely squeaked out that win against North Carolina. The only game they didn't cover was when they played Wofford. They only won by 45, and I believe the spread was 48 or 48 and a half. So they've just been, you know, overachieving and outperforming expectations themselves, yet somehow this line has flipped 
like at least seven points, but in my opinion, more like up, upwards of 10 from where the line would have been before the conference uh, championships were played. So I did make a bet uh, when it got to five and a half, I bought, it's probably a stupid bet, but I was like, if I was, if I saw this line a month ago, I would have like flown anywhere to get it. But uh, I got plus seven on Clemson at minus 140, 145, excuse me. And I think they should still be, you know, the question is, should they be a favorite over LSU the way LSU's played recently? You want to account for what's happened recently. Um, I think maybe it's fair if you want to say LSU should be a slight favorite now after making some adjustments for what they've done these last few games. But Clemson's just outperforming their numbers anyways and their lines anyway. So, like, I, for me, I haven't really been moving LSU way higher up than I have Clemson anyway. So, yeah, I, I took the 7 at plus 145. I would take the 5s out there, 6 obviously if you can get it. Chris, I think it's the lowest number at four and a half that exists. But uh, yeah, it's Clemson or nothing. I, I, I do lean to the over again. I, you know, I, I should, we should mention that for the Clemson Ohio State game, you know, there was, you know, Ohio State was inside the 10 three times and kicked three field goals. There was that fumble recovery touchdown bonus that was reversed that probably hurt Ohio State. Um, I liked the over in that game. It didn't get there, but I thought it played out as a game that probably could have gone over just as often as not. Um, so I'm more like 72 as far as this total goes against LSU. So, uh, I would look that way if I had to bet the total right now at 69. I, you know, I was, while you were talking, I was looking back at my numbers on LSU and Clemson where they were relatively and mm-hmm. I've had them pretty even throughout the year, or at least throughout the latter part of the year yeah, right now. Um, LSU had the best game grade of the season and one of the best game grades ever that, you know, that I, since I've done them, actually probably since I've done it, but if going back to like 2005, I think, so, uh, there's an Alabama nice. game that was better, but, uh, but LSU, I had them grade them as a plus 62, meaning that uh, against an average team on a neutral field, I would have expected them to like, based on the fundamentals of their performance to win by 62. So they obviously got a boost because of that. They're up to, um, they're two points. I have them. Oh, sorry. A point better than Clemson now, just in the, in the power ratings. And, uh, but if you look at the hybrid, well, not the hybrid, the, uh, no prior number, I make LSU, a favorite of 3.9. And so, you know, the numbers, yes, the numbers do not warrant LSU being as big a favorite as they are. And I also took, uh, took Clemson. I, I don't know where that line is going to move. I, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out, do I wait or do I just hammer it now? Um, and so I kind of don't have a, f- a full position. I, I definitely probably going to want to add some more, but I wanted to take some now also because you never know with a with a big game like this national championship you get uh, lines like like the Super Bowl where the line is not necessarily. So what what number did you get uh, Clemson at? So I took some plus six. I took plus seven and a half minus one forty and a little plus two hundred two money line. Damn, that's so nice. Where'd you? Well, I don't know. I'll ask you later where you got that. That's a great number. No, I, yeah. There's, you know, in circa, I, you know, they. I guess uh, just yesterday morning, we're taking a hundred thousand on the side. So I was impressed with that. So you, you yeah, I mean, when times. I saw this number pop, I took it for all hundred now. <laughs> when I saw this number popping up to five and a half, six, I was I was surprised, and I felt like we should grab some Clemson because it just—I mean—the analysis that you talked about, Preston, where. You know, if this line, if this game had been a month ago, and and yes, I mean those performances matter, but it, they still, you still have a lot of recency bias that's pushing this number much higher, and you're still talking about a Clemson team that's the defending national champion with, you know, a for first round like an arguably overall number one draft pick as a quarterback. I mean, I think if 
you had a choice, if NFL uh, scouts had a choice right now between Burrow and the draft, I think it would be pretty close to mixed. And I think most people, I think more people would take uh, Lawrence than Burrow. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. I I think, well, but Lawrence is also what, like 19 years old and Burrow's like 23. Is that right? Is Lawrence? Burrow's 23. Sure. But I'm just even saying like right now, you're picking one game, like one, you know, like, Lawrence is is I mean that run that he had against Ohio State was incredible. Holy that sixty-seven shit, yeah. yard run where he was running he was running away from safeties. I well, mean, he, well that, that movie well, made that movie made on the safety and then was able to accelerate and run by everybody after too. Yeah, I mean it was Clemson's wide receiver, right? I mean they are a collection of future NFL players and Travis Etienne, as we mentioned, is probably what the most explosive running back in in college, and yet. They are getting points to LSU, and I know LSU has played incredibly recently, but I have to take Clemson as a dog. Of you know, I, I even like them right now where it is at four and a half. Let me ask you guys this real quick before we wrap this up. Uh, I already kind of know the answer, but just worth mentioning because it'll get discussed this next two-week stretch. Um, do you put any stock or, or how do you consider, which we haven't mentioned yet, which I think is okay that we haven't mentioned it, the fact that Lawrence has been there before, Dabo's been there plenty of times. Clemson has the experience. This is LSU's first time now on this stage in a championship game. Joe Burrow obviously did fine against Oklahoma on the semifinal stage. Uh, much different defense here in Clemson. And, you know, Dabo's just owned these spots now in the playoff. I think is like six and one or seven and one against the spread, won a bunch of those outright. Uh, do you put any stock in that, that they've been there before versus they haven't been there before? I mean, my numbers don't, but. You know, it can't hurt, I think. Yeah. Um, by the way, I just want – not on topic, but Clemson is the number one rated defense in Massey Peabody and LSU is the number one rated offense. So I'm really excited to watch this game. Hell yeah. Nice. Well, I, th- I think the thing with that you're asking right now, Preston, is interesting. But I think that, the, you know, one of the reasons that I probably wouldn't put that much stock into it at this point is just because – LSU, the way they have performed in what would consider to be spots that they hadn't been in before, just like you said so far, the All SEC year long. championship. Yeah, they've they've done so well. So it's hard to, you know, I, I guess it's hard in my mind, like, oh, I, I think they're gonna no show. But I guess Dabo and his team, it's just like the Belichick thing in the Super Bowl, right? Like Belichick and Brady have been there so many times that they're definitely not gonna get freaked out by the by the pressure of the of the moment. The one thing I, I wonder, because LSU's done such a great job of going out in front early, and so they've been playing with confidence or whatever you want to call it, but they've just had a lead. They do what they do. Like, if it's halftime and LSU's down or it's close, like, I'm definitely trusting Dabo Sweeney and the adjustments they made. I mean, we saw him make adjustments mid-game against Ohio State. They were down 16-0, and they ended up winning the game. Uh, I, I trust that over what Ed Orgeron, and they're going to probably decide to do more often. That was one thing I kind of made a mental note of. Um, but again, that's probably dependent on game script somewhat. Uh, and I don't know, LSU just hasn't played from behind, if I recall really much at all. Maybe maybe was it Auburn that scored first? Uh, that game was a little closer. Or maybe it was Florida. Um, but as a whole, you're right. I mean, they've just crushed teams from the get-go, and they've, they've showed up each time. Well, uh, people were saying, I mean, that when Clemson fell behind 16 nothing, that they had not played from behind like the entire season. So, sure. And then they I managed I just because, I, you know, I, I don't know if you can hold it against them that they've been so good that they haven't been losing. But it, you're right. No. But it does say that, you know, if they're in the situation, we don't necessarily know how they're going to respond. Yeah. No, I think that's worth noting. And in Clemson, I think that would be the argument for that. Well, they've been there before, even though they're down 16 0, like they can find a way. 
but could LSU? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think that's awesome that there it's number one versus number one. Um, LSU is for sure number one offense for me, but I don't think I have Clemson number one. So uh, anyway, this will be a fun game. I'm excited, and I'm sure you guys will talk about it again as it gets closer. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys, um, and uh, have a great new year. Um, thanks for joining us, Cheetah. This has been awesome. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take it easy. The breakdown, the data, analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are but the engines running off a of leaded. 